This special edition podcast is brought to you by the Pro Bono Institute. PBI is a nonprofit organization that supports, enhances, and helps to transform the pro bono efforts of major law firms, in-house corporate legal departments, and public interest organizations in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to PBI's podcast, The Challenge of COVID-19, Lawyers in Action. I'm your host, Nihad Mansoor, PBI's Assistant Director of the Law Firm Pro Bono Project. This podcast is the first in a series of special episodes featuring legal sector leaders and frontline practitioners working to mitigate the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on the financially distressed and those seeking to aid them. During the course of this podcast series, we'll get an understanding of how the coronavirus is increasing the demand for legal aid and pro bono assistance, the challenges facing legal practitioners and organizations in meeting that demand, and what the sector is doing to meet those challenges. We also explore what other challenges remain to be solved and, perhaps more importantly, how more lawyers, law firms, corporations, and legal aid organizations can most effectively join in these efforts. Today you'll hear from Jim Sandman, Chairman of the American Bar Association's COVID-19 Task Force, Ron Flagg, President of the Legal Services Corporation, and Jackie Haberfeld, Pro Bono Counsel for Kirkland and Ellis. The legal community has come together in times of disasters before, but I'm pretty sure we can all agree that the coronavirus pandemic is a different kind of disaster. I wanted to know how this pandemic is different with respect to creating demand for legal services. So I asked Jackie. Well, for one thing, it's it's international. <laughs> it's it's huge. It's, you know, it's a global crisis. So it's not just our people who are having problems. It's people all over the world, and it affects really every aspect of people's lives. Not only are there small business issues, but I imagine there are. We're going to see large spikes in domestic violence incidences and child abuse. There are obviously medical concerns. There are concerns for healthcare and emergency workers. There are concerns for grocery delivery people and people upon whom we rely every single day to do jobs that we um, historically uh, have undervalued. So, you know, this really has implications that go far beyond the implications of, for example, a Superstorm Sandy, which dramatically affected the small businesses and and homeowners uh, and residents of the New York area and other coastal areas, but wasn't exactly the same. Or even 9-11, where it had enormous implications in all areas, but still didn't directly affect quite as many people as this. So the scalable model is really, really important. Jim Sandman noted another way in which the pandemic is creating an environment that cries out for additional legal aid and pro bono services. There's going to be a huge problem just with volume. Significantly more people needing legal assistance, significantly more people qualified for legal aid because they now find themselves out of a job. Just look at the numbers, the millions of unemployment insurance claims uh, being being filed. That's that's going to continue, and uh, that that's going to have a huge impact on the ability of traditional legal aid organizations to meet demand. Ron Flagg identified some contributors to this increase in demand. Legal aid providers are seeing and will see a dramatic spike in need for their services 
two aspects of COVID-19 are causing spikes in service needs, and we'll continue to do that. First, unemployment. We've seen 10 million new claims in just the last two weeks, which is around 20 times the norm. And of course, the sheltering in place orders have an effect on legal needs. With the volume of service needs expecting to substantially increase, I asked Jim and Ron to be more specific as to what types of legal issues are arising out of this pandemic. I think that there will be a particular substantive area that will be uh, very uh, prominent on, in need, and that is uh, benefits. Um, new uh, government benefits programs becoming available through the CARES legislation or traditional government benefits like uh, unemployment uh, that are now going to be um, needed by many more people than availed themselves of those benefits in the past. So what legal needs are spiking or will be spiking? First, evictions. Evictions today in states without and other jurisdictions without moratoriums. And following the expiration of the moratoriums, we expect an enormous increase in evictions throughout the country. Second, domestic violence cases and protective orders are already uh, increasing. A recent survey of uh, 22 law enforcement agencies across the country reported that 18 departments have seen a rise in domestic violence calls. Obviously, this is linked both to downturns and economic circumstances, as well as uh, sheltering in place orders, which require people to stay close together, whether they want to be or not. Other issues where we're seeing or expect to see increases, obviously, employment issues and unemployment claims, healthcare issues, given the nature of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, food stamp assistance claims, family law issues such as emergency child custody, visitation and support, elder abuse and scams directed at aging populations, and Social Security, Medicaid, and other benefit-related issues. We expect to see substantial increases in all of those areas. I'll let Jim sum up the demand situation with a look at the longer term and lead us into our next two topics. The unique challenges that the COVID-19 pandemic presents in meeting demand for legal services and what should be done to meet those challenges. I think the big challenge here over the the longer term is going to be volume. I I think that we're looking at a spike in demand that will be greater than we saw in the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009. I just think the number of people being put out of work uh, right now is going to exceed anything we've seen in, in recent history. Uh, And I think that even after the pandemic passes, it's going to take time for businesses to to get back up on their feet. Just take a look around your neighborhood. Look at your local restaurants. I'm trying when I can safely to order food from, get takeout from restaurants that I want to support. And people are telling me that they're lucky if they're doing one third to one half of of the business that they do when they're uh, open as as usual. That's that's probably at the high end. And are they going to be able to survive? Uh, I I just uh, I think we're in for something here for the long haul. So I would urge the pro bono community to be thinking longer term here and to be setting up structures to deal with with volume, structures that can really promote collaboration in a way that we may not have achieved before. Our profession has a, a strong culture of pro bono work. 
a strong pro bono ethic, but I think that it's important that we now combine efforts and get outside our traditional organizational ways of thinking. What is my firm going to do? What is my legal department going to do? And to think about how together we can accomplish much more than we would be able to acting individually. I mean, clearly the sheer magnitude of the need for legal services is overwhelming and a major challenge in and of itself. Jackie, how do you cope with the prospect of the need for services outstripping the available legal resources? This is where the starfish theory comes in. I'm not, you know, if you don't know the starfish theory, what it is, is it's about two people who are walking along a beach and they're littered with starfish as the tide recedes. And one person is bending over and picking up starfish and throwing them back into the ocean so they don't die on the shore. And the other one says, why are you bothering those start, you know, they're, you know, they're all, they're, look at how many there are. Most of them are going to die anyway. And he said, yep, but I helped that one. And I helped that one. And I helped that one. And that's really the model here is that we have so many lawyers who want to help and so many people who need help. Can we help everyone? Probably not. But we can help the people that we reach and we can do the best we can. And even if our services are limited, it's perhaps more services than people otherwise would have had. And perhaps it's the thin end of the wedge that leads people to say, hey, you know what? I can do this. I just helped somebody in a brief consultation, but now I'm really, I feel better and I'm ready to take on a full representation of that business and help them to survive. So that's really the model right there. In discussing challenges with this group, it was clear that the overwhelming demand is not the only barrier to justice right now. The means of access are just different now, access both to the courts and to legal help. Many courts are effectively shut down except for emergency proceedings, and that can be difficult. The emergency proceedings can involve matters like protection orders for victims of domestic violence, modification of child support orders, modification of child custody arrangements. And it can be particularly difficult for low-income people to access courts using remote technology if they don't have uh, the technology available to them to do that, or if they're not uh, familiar with using technology. So access uh, issues, both to courts and to lawyers, it can be harder for people to find help in this environment currently. They are faced with a decline in resources due to reductions in funding from interest on lawyers' trust accounts. It's a huge effect, potentially. Uh, On March 15th, the Federal Reserve announced it would reduce interest rates to zero to generate economic activity. That obviously has a a direct effect on uh, the amount of funds in these IOLTA accounts. Uh, Revenue from these accounts will precipitously decline along with their grants, the civil legal aid programs. For example, the Texas Access to Justice Foundation expects a 75% decline in revenue or about $1 million per month in IOLTA-related grants. Uh, Out in Washington State, the Northwest Justice Project expects a $6 million increase in annual IOLTA funding. Those are big dollars for programs like that. Legal aid providers and their pro bono partners are dealing with that spike in needs at a time when they face acute operating barriers and are generally forced to provide their services remotely. Jim and Ron both agreed that lawyers should think outside the box and be creative with how they help in this time. 
Legal advice and representation is not the only assistance that law firms are in a position to render. As Jim Salmon and Ron Flagg related to me, tech support is a pressing need right now, too. In the near term, uh, a lot of legal aid organizations just need tech support right now. They also need people. They'd, they'd love to be able to to um, get some time from the IT staffs of, of big law firms or corporate legal departments, but I don't think that's going to be possible right now. I think the IT staffs are overwhelmed just serving the internal needs of their organizations, which have had to adapt to a new way of, of doing business. But I do think that uh, the uh, the pro bono world should think about providing uh, in-kind contributions uh, in addition to traditional uh, legal services. Let's see what the uh, what kind of operational support legal aid organizations need to have in order to uh, to serve what will surely be an overwhelming need. Nearly all of LSD's funding recipients have had to close some or all of their offices and work and provide services remotely. In early March, over 80% of the legal aid programs we fund reported that they would need additional computers, telecommunication equipment, and information technology to enable them to work and provide assistance remotely. 126 of our 132 grantees have applied for funding for technology to build their net, their telework capacity and we expect to grant out that emergency telework capacity funding uh, by April 10th. Another substantial operating challenge for many legal aid programs is inconsistent judicial operations from court to court. If a state Supreme Court lacks the authority to issue orders for all of the lower courts in a state or county, it leaves local jurisdictions with the latitude to decide their own procedures. And consequently, legal aid attorneys and staff are now spending significant time contacting courts to understand exactly how they're operating. We find that telephonic and video conferencing hearings vary depending on local court capabilities. As it were, our legal aid staff around the country are having to relearn substantial aspects of civil procedure given the changes that they face. Lawyers are going to have to participate in pro bono, at least in the near term, remotely, and that will be different for many of them. I think the particular challenge with pro bono right now is coordinating and making sure that we're responding to the most pressing needs. What's what's desperately needed right now is triage, a process of identifying those most in, in need of help and directing resources to them in the first instance. So what has the legal community already done to ensure the provision of legal services continues despite the challenges faced by the coronavirus? Jim Sandman is chairing the new ABA task force on the 2020 pandemic. Task force with 17 ABA leadership members and 18 liaison representatives of leading organizations focused on pro bono and access to justice issues. I asked him to share what the task force is currently focused on. What we hope to do is to be a clearinghouse of information that people can access easily to find out what's going on in the field of legal services delivery as it's been affected by the coronavirus. There are several functions we hope to achieve. First, we want to help equip lawyers to be able to practice remotely. Virtually every lawyer in the country now, whatever their practice setting, whatever the nature of their practice, 
suddenly has to do work remotely. Many people have done that in the past on a sporadic basis, but being equipped to do that at scale across an entire legal services organization and for a long period of time is different, and some are better equipped to do that than others. Legal aid organizations have been particularly hard hit. Not all of their lawyers have laptops at home with the software that they need to be able to function remotely. They uh, they need the, both the uh, technology uh, to be able to function effectively and facility with that technology, be comfortable using that technology. One thing we hope to do is to push out resources that others have created to equip lawyers to be able to work remotely for an extended period of time. Second, we want to aggregate information about legal needs across the country as they've been affected by the coronavirus. A lot of people are doing a lot of good work right now, but it's being done in silos and in a very dispersed way. If you want to access information quickly so that you can avoid duplication of effort and build on what others have already done, it's hard. Uh, And to the extent that you can access information, you sometimes encounter information overload, just too much. How do you sort through it and find out what's going to be most helpful and is of the highest quality? We hope to be able to serve a curating function in addition to an aggregating function. Third, we want to push information out. We will start by creating a website, but a website is a passive communication tool. It requires that people know of its existence and take the initiative to come to it. That's not the best way to get information to people today. The best way is to use social media to push information out, to use networks to disseminate information, and networks of networks to push information out. And finally, we hope to mobilize pro bono resources. We'll we'll just play a facilitating role there. Ultimately, that has to be done at the state and local level. It's very difficult to mobilize pro bono resources of the type that are needed now from the national level. But we do want to be able to uh, to share resources and ideas and to be helpful in employing the huge number of volunteer resources that have, have come out to try to be useful. Ron Flagg caught me up to speed on the three big things LSC is focusing on right now to help their 132 LSC grantees and the community during this crisis. Well, we're really doing at least three things. First, we're gathering information from the legal aid programs we fund about what they're seeing on the ground among their clients. And we're disseminating that information to the public, potential pro bono partners, and to Congress entity that funds us. Secondly, we're sharing information about best practices for providing legal aid during this time period with our funding recipients and other legal aid programs. And then most importantly, we're providing emergency funding. Congress appropriated $50 million to LSC in the recently enacted CARES Act. And LSC is as quickly as we can, distributing that money to the legal aid programs we fund. We're distributing the first $2 million, uh, granting it out telework capacity grants to support telework and mobile resources with additional computers, telecommunications equipment, and information technology to enable legal aid programs to work and provide assistance remotely. The telework capacity grants will also help attorneys conduct court proceedings electronically. 
Now, with regard to the remaining 47 million, in order to take into account the areas of the country most affected by COVID-19, we'll rent out those remaining funds by the end of April by uh, taking into account not just the U.S. Bureau of Census Poverty Population data, which we always rely upon, but also overlaying those data with data concerning recent unemployment insurance filings so that we're getting the money to the areas most directly affected by the COVID-19. LSE is currently seeking a second appropriation of $50 million to address the surge evictions, domestic violence, healthcare, and other cases that we expect to see in the coming months. This is definitely a time when organizations working on their own need to look for allies and, and collaborators. In the information gathering process, LSC is working closely with the 132 legal aid programs we fund. We've held several webinars and conducted surveys of those organizations during the past month to gather information we can pass along. In terms of sharing that information, we're also working closely uh, with organizations like the National Legal Aid and Defender Association and the ABA. We're also coordinating with the American Bar Association, NLADA, the legal aid programs we fund, and with organizations representing pro bono resources, such as the Pro Bono Institute, to develop a portal or some other centralized platform for legal aid programs to use to identify the pro bono opportunities they have, particularly those opportunities in remote locations far from the physical locations of large law firms and law departments where substantial pro bono resources uh, typically reside. This resource would enable pro bono service providers to see in one place the unmet legal needs that legal aid programs deem the most pressing and to, to volunteer to help out on those needs. These incredible collaborative efforts are just a few examples of the way in which the legal community is rising to the challenge of the coronavirus pandemic. You've seen indications of it already. I admire hugely what Paul Weiss has done, what their chair Brad, Brad Karp has done to jump in and to figure out immediately what the firm can do to help and to create a, a website with very useful information on benefits programs that are available to people that they may not know how to access. Where hundreds of lawyers in the firm responded to his call immediately for, uh, for pro bono help. I've seen that big law firms are coming together with the Lawyers for Good Government Foundation to help small businesses access uh, government support. We need to be thinking about uh, small businesses and nonprofit organizations that are very hard hit by the current situation. But I'm just seeing example after example of people and institutions coming forward to say, how can I help looking out for others first? And that that makes me optimistic. We will get through this and, and we'll get through it because uh, we'll we'll see where our common interests lie, and that we'll all be better off if we pull together and help each other out. Jackie Haberfeld elaborated on Kirkland and Ellis partnering with Lawyers for Good Government based on a pre-existing working relationship that proved to be successful before and was thought to be promising here. This program, the initial part of the program is kicking off in New York with, um, in partnership with 
the City Bar Justice Center, which has for many years had a really excellent program called the Neighborhood Entrepreneur Law Program. When this arose, I knew that they were going to need help, and they also had been thinking about clinic opportunities and ways to help people, and we had this platform, so I offered it to them. The program at the City Bar is going to be offering 45-minute consultations for people who are running small businesses and helping them to apply for city, state, and federal loans and grants, and also providing legal advice, brief legal advice, on areas that we thought were the most likely to be implicated by the COVID situation, such as commercial leases, insurance, employment, dissolution, contracts, things like that. So we have lawyers who are um, experienced in those areas, and anybody who calls in will be willing, will be able to have a consultation for 45 minutes with one of our lawyers. If they have more questions, they can go back into the hopper and have a second consultation. That's just fine. We're not yet providing ongoing services, although if people develop relationships, they can be screened for appropriateness for pro bono legal services on an ongoing basis. So definitely hope to be able to offer a meaningful amount of support to New York small businesses. That program is being rolled out nationally and is going to open in a large number of other cities. We have New York, Seattle, Detroit, Atlanta, Charlotte, Los Angeles, Denver, Miami, maybe, um, Washington, D.C., maybe, and then there's a chance of Connecticut, and of course, New York. I've been talking about that. Lawyers for Good Government is also going to refer people to programs that are happening in their city. In other words, it's nobody's, it's, it's in nobody's interest for programs to be repeated where there are already programs and not be offered in places where there aren't any. So the focus is on getting the work done and making sure that we're referring people to the places in their areas where the work is being done. To learn more about the City Bar program, which is now open in New York, you can go to lawyersforgoodgovernment.org. There, small businesses can fill out an intake form to request a free 45-minute legal consultation, or they can sign up to be notified if a COVID small business legal clinic becomes available in their state. Law firms that are interested in participating in the project can fill out an interest form on the website. I asked Jackie for more details on the innovative program. How much subject matter expertise is required? What happens if questions fall outside of the scope of participating lawyers' experience? And how is the program expanding? We're offering brief trainings, but the trainings are really more for people who don't practice in that area of law. So, for example, if you're a contracts lawyer and you finished up a consultation with somebody who said they had a contracts problem, and at the end of that, that person says, hey, you know, I got a commercial lease question I can ask you. We would like all our lawyers to have like sort of a basic amount of knowledge about the other areas in which we expect people are going to have questions. But we're not trying to teach people whole bodies of law from scratch. It's really just basic information. And then if the lawyer who's on the phone can't answer it, as I said earlier, you know, we can throw people back in the hopper and say, hey, this person needs a real estate lawyer to talk about commercial leases. If it's brief advice that somebody needs, then we can give it. And if it's a more in-depth piece of advice requiring you know, closer to 45 minutes, we'll refer them out to an expert in that area. So that we are providing training, but really only to bring our non-subject area experts up to speed with basic knowledge. Each person who signs up will work with Lawyers for Good Government and the local organization. This is a national problem, but a hyper-local solution. 
because you know everyone's going to have different issues in different states, and we work with different legal service organizations. In New York, we work with the City Bar Justice Center, um, which is has a long-standing history of stepping up in times like this. And you know, in other cities, where we might be working with other organizations, lawyers committees, or state bars, or city bars, or other legal service and nonprofit organizations, and they will have their own criteria for who they're accepting in their programs and for what kinds of services they're going to be providing. So I've given the New York model because New York is going out first, but other states may differ slightly in what services they provide. They may provide more or they may provide fewer. The way that we approach this is that first we try to find a firm who will be what we call the lead firm in a city. So a city lead, actually, is what we call it. The city lead is really an administrative lead um, to help find, identify a legal service organization that will partner with the program, and then to help recruit lawyers and clients for the project. And so the lead firm has an administrative role in pairing up lawyers with projects using our platform, which is richly developed. And they also have sort of an organizational role in managing the firms and making sure that everybody knows what's going on in their city and everything like that. We have seen hundreds of lawyers step up to do this work all across the firm, nationally and internationally, and we are not alone. Yesterday, I had conversations with probably half a dozen major in-house counsel. Morgan Stanley just joined our efforts, really like lots of lots of banks and other kinds of um, major corporations, at almost every major firm, there have been dozens, if not hundreds of lawyers stepping up to, to try to be helpful. And we haven't even fully promoted our program, uh, our small business program yet. And yet we already have hundreds and hundreds of lawyers signed up just for that program. So um, that's pretty great. After discussing the amazing work that's already happening, we went on to talk about what more can be done. There are other programs that are launching. Small businesses obviously is very, very important because not only is it the businesses themselves, but it's also the, the people who work for those businesses and their salaries and their livelihoods and poverty and benefits and all of the things that will trickle down from the demise of these small businesses. But there are also other really critical needs. For example, there are healthcare workers now who are young people who don't have wills and advanced directives who are on the front lines, first responders of all types, police officers, firefighters, who are on the front lines of COVID and who don't have advanced directives. And so the firms and various legal service organizations and nonprofits are pulling together to provide those services remotely and that is also a hugely important effort. What I would recommend is that lawyers interested in pro bono work look first to legal services providers, to legal aid organizations on the ground that have frontline experience with what needs are and what's unfolding in their communities. People can be understandably eager just to rush out and help do something, anything. What's more useful is for them to give the legal aid organizations a little bit of time to see how things are unfolding, what the greatest needs are, and how pro bono lawyers can be used to address those needs rather than trying to, uh, to determine on their own, the pro bono lawyers, that is, what would be most useful. So let's take our cues from the legal services providers. Let them uh, tell us what is most 
helpful at this point. And then second, once they've done that, coordinate, coordinate, coordinate. Instead of having every individual law firm or corporate legal department do its own thing and come up with its own project, let's have them talk to each other about what they're doing and leverage their, their resources and work cooperatively together across their communities to maximize their impact. I really have two recommendations. First, for whether you're in a law firm or you're in a law department or you're just working on your own, identify the legal aid programs in your community. Go to their websites. These are organizations with whom you have an existing relationship. Talk to them and ask them to identify for you what pro bono opportunities they might have, what pro bono opportunities they view as the most pressing. At this point in time, they should be the ones identifying the things that are most important. I would add that when I talk about pro bono opportunities, this might include either pro bono legal work, the type we would normally think of, but perhaps given the current challenges, operational assistance uh, in addition. For example, as legal aid programs are transitioning to widespread telework, they may need assistance in moving to some sort of cloud-based communication systems. Law firms and law departments often have uh, great in-house expertise in this area, and there are undoubtedly many legal aid programs that could benefit from that sort of pro bono assistance. Second, and I've alluded to this earlier, I would urge particularly those uh, of you listening who are in large urban areas where there may be a number of law firms and uh, law departments to try to identify legal needs remote from where you are, remote from where most pro bono resources are located, and try to determine, presumably in conjunction with the legal aid programs that serve those remote areas, what needs you could help address remotely. After hearing about the growing demand for legal services and the challenges COVID-19 poses to addressing those needs, I was heartened by these industry veterans' illustrations of what is being done. Ultimately, these discussions revealed incredibly positive attitudes underlying those actions. I hope you'll find these final observations as inspiring as I do. COVID-19 is, of course, presenting unprecedented challenges, but COVID-19 also presents lawyers an opportunity, really a unique opportunity given the nature of our profession, to be helpful at a time when most of the world feels helpless. An opportunity to help people facing life-altering problems. And to date, I've seen both legal aid providers and their pro bono partners proactively seeking out those opportunities identifying new and creative ways to serve people remotely and effectively, really showing the legal profession at its finest hour. We are so, so lucky. When I think about the benefits that we have, you know, yeah, I'm sitting in my basement home office, but my lights are on and there's food in my fridge and I'm not going to lose my job anytime soon. And everyone's healthy. And I'm so grateful for that and also so grateful for the opportunity to be helpful to others less fortunate and grateful for the opportunity to work with lawyers for good government and deliver that opportunity to others who also want to be impactful. I think that when you're in a situation like this in which we really are 
probably still closer to the beginning than we are at the end. The only way to, you know, to get through it is to go through it. The only way to, to, you know, the only way to get to the end is just to keep on going. And we have, you know, as I said, tremendous resources and the opportunity to be helpful here. And what a creative and productive way to spend our time in addition to all of what everybody's doing, spending more time with their families and board games and movies to spend a few hours here and there helping small businesses by phone and then perhaps helping those businesses going forward and perhaps making this a model for when we really are out of this time of crisis and carrying this into the future with a lot more pro bono service. I do, I do have hope. Hard times test values. They test what's most important to you. And I think that these times are bringing out the best in people. I think they're bringing out a natural human instinct to help others. And I think that's, that's going to increase. I do think it's important to realize that, that there is lots of reason for hope uh, right now. There, there can be days when it's hard. This is affecting everybody in, in so many different ways. People who are worried about their parents or their grandparents, uh, families with young children having to cope with distance learning, uh, with having kids underfoot while they have to work from home. Uh, this is hard. And not knowing when the end is going to be. That, that's one of the most uh, challenging things. How long will this go on? It, that, that can be distracting. Uh, but keep your eye on the important things. I, um, I live on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And in our neighborhood, uh, there's a, a new tradition uh, where people come out on their porches. M- 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 many of the houses on Capitol Hill have, have porches, some of them small, at 5 o'clock uh, every afternoon for a, uh, a, a neighborhood happy hour. Uh, <laughs> people just sit on their own porches. They keep their distance from one another, and they, they'll shout across the street or, or a few houses down just to talk to each other to, to maintain or in some instances established for the first time a human connection with with their neighbors uh people are realizing the importance of human connections more than ever now uh, because they've been tested and i think long-term good is going to come with that I hope you are getting ready for that one soon. <laughs> it's will, almost five will, o'clock. I, will, I better I, get going. I, I live in a condo. I don't have a porch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do it from the window. It's yeah, fine. but I go for a, but what we do. My wife and I go for a walk at that time. There you go. Uh, every every afternoon, and we just walk the by and wave wave to people and tell them we admire their house and so, yeah. Oh, they're waiting for you. <laughs> right. That's awesome. I love that. Right. Thank you to Jim, Ron, and Jackie for their thoughtful remarks and leadership on the coronavirus pandemic. It's clear that the developments in the coronavirus are moving fast, but it's also clear that the legal community is adapting to move with it. Look out for more COVID-19-focused episodes as we continue to shine light on the legal sector's response to this evolving crisis. We also hope that if you're not already doing so, you'll join with those already taking action. More resources on how to help are available at www.probonoinst.org, as well as the ABA, LSC, and Kirkland & Ellis websites. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and be well.